If you're turning with me today, uh, we're going to start in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 21. And today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about what you believe. Like, what is it that you believe? What do you really believe? Is it just talk? When I think about a lot of people in my life and a lot of people in the world today and just people in general, some people, lots of people are just talk. They tell you they believe in certain things, but they don't back it up with action. Like if you step back and look at their lifestyle and the way they choose to live and the way they treat people and the way they spend their money and the way they spend their time, and it, it doesn't really line up with the things that they say they believe. So what do you believe? I had a talk with one of my boys this past week about not being someone who says they're going to do something and never does it. I don't want to get too specific. But uh, just about being that, the kind of man that just sits around saying, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, and you're never going to do it. Because then the people around you, they learn that, oh, he's just talking. He ain't going to do nothing. He's just running that mouth. All talk and no walk. Or all hat and no cattle. You heard that one? dude with the big shiny cowboy hat that ain't never seen a horse and I'm talking about good things right like like you can say with your mouth I'm gonna serve and then just never follow through with that or say with your mouth hey I'm gonna give and then you know you do for one or a couple weeks or whatever and then that dies off so like I'm talking about the good things that you say and not backing it up and also there's bad things too that you say with your mouth. I'm going to punch him in the face. Everybody that I've ever heard give a warning, I'm about to punch you in the face. They never punch anybody in the face. Right? Like you ain't, gonna, you ain't trying to fight. I'm about to punch her in the throat. No, you're not. You wouldn't have just announced it. You'd have just whooped out. The silent ones is what you got to worry about, like Benny. All right? He ain't going to tell you, I'm about to punch you. Duck. Do you do what you say you're going to do? We're supposed to be people of truth. As Christians, we're supposed to do what we say we're going to do. If that rooster wakes me up one more time, I'm going to kill him. No, you're not. I'm not talking to anybody specifically. <laughs> what about with your kids? Can we go there? You've got one more time. No, they don't. They know they got more than one more time. <laughs> I'm going to punish you. No, you're not. I've heard you say it 14 times in the foyer. One, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, forty, fifty, six. Do you do what you say you're gonna do? You ever heard of the boy that cried wolf? 
where eventually nobody even really believed what he was going to say. His, his words didn't carry much weight. Do you want to be the man that cried wolf, the woman that cried wolf? I sure don't want us to be the church that cries wolf, the Christians that cry wolf and say we believe in God and that, we, that all these things and then we don't show it because we don't do what we say we're going to do. Here's the problem. Your words are powerful. We've talked about that pretty recently, so we're not going to spend much time on that. Your words are powerful. Read, let's read Proverbs 18. Um, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You ever heard that? Yeah. We've all heard that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So you're eating fruit off of the trees that you are creating every day. When you're talking. We talked about that a couple months ago. Your words. There's life and death in your words. So here's the problem. Your words are powerful. And if you keep saying things and not doing them. Not only do the people around you stop believing, but you are creating an internal contradiction in your mind. And after a while, you stop believing yourself. You create internal contradictions subconsciously with yourself. You keep saying things and then not doing them, and you make these commitments and you break these commitments and inside your own mind you don't even know what to believe you then don't trust yourself psychologists say that you will stop believing in yourself so that's pretty bad like you don't even believe you're going to come through and do what you said you're going to do with just these little contradictions I'm going to do this I'm going to be there I'm going to help somebody I'm going to whatever After a while, you stop believing in yourself. If you say, I'm loved, right? But deep down inside, and you're, you're not acting like you're loved. You don't believe that you're loved. I'm free. Jesus died and paid for my sins. I don't have to live in those chains and walk and live in that addiction. Like you can say, I'm free, but are you walking in freedom? Are you living it out? Are your actions lining up with your words? If your actions don't line up, you're creating an internal contradiction. The number one cause for unbelief in God, for unbelief in church, for unbelief in pastors, for unbelief in yourself, for unbelief in other people, like you're not able to trust people, for, for unbelief in a good future, number one cause is pain or trouble pain and, and or trouble so look what Jesus had to say about pain and trouble John 16 33 
He said, just have some faith and you won't have any trouble. No, not what he said. These things I have spoken unto you. He's talking to the disciples. The ones that have dedicated their whole lives to follow him and do what he said. Right? These aren't just some random people walking down the street. These are the ones that gave up everything to follow him. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Jesus is telling them you can have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation or trouble. Jesus said, hey guys, listen. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. You will have trouble. And like I know that sounds kind of depressing. Like it's a promise from Jesus that you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials and tribulation. You're going to have bad things are going to happen to you. We live in the world with other people. So you're going to have trouble. But Jesus said, in me, you can have peace. And peace is not ignoring reality. That's what some people think peace is. Just to ignore the trouble or the bad things that are going on, and then you can have some peace. Ignore the fact that none of the bills are paid. Ignore the fact that whatever. That's not how... You get real peace. The house is on fire. It's not burning. It's not burning. It's not burning. It's not gone. It burnt. That's not peace. Jesus said, you will have trouble, but I already beat it. Like That's what you need to know. I already beat the trouble, so you're going to have pain. You're going to have physical pain, mental pain. You're going to have emotional pain. You're going to have heartbreak. You're going to experience death, loss of people that you love. Right? You're going to experience failure, mistakes. You're going to fall down. And it's going to be okay. Two things I know. One, you will have pain. If you're alive, you're going to have some pain. Number two, it will change you. You can't help it. Pain will change you. But you get to choose how it will change you. You get to choose if you're just going to go through it or grow through it. If you're going to get bitter, better, positive or negative. If you're going to get more stingy or more generous. Will I give and serve and love and sacrifice to be in relationship with those people and bad things happen to me? Why? I was doing the right thing. I put my money in the offering plate and it showed up to church for three weeks in a row and something bad happened. Why? We don't do these things so bad stuff won't happen. Jesus promised bad stuff would happen. 
We do these things so we will have strength when the bad things happen. Or can I say it this way? We work out not to avoid the fight. We work out to win the fight. I, like, don't, don't get it wrong. Don't think you do good things so nothing bad will happen to you because bad things happen to everybody. Do you know that all behavior is belief-driven? Right, the people that they've, they've done all these studies and stuff and neuroscientists say that all of your behavior is belief-driven whether you know it or not. Everything that you do is because of some belief that you have. You know how many beliefs you have? Millions. They say maybe even trillions. Like you already have a predetermined belief. If you tell me to plant my feet and turn around and look completely behind me in my mind, either I think I can or I think I can't. And how hard I push my body depends on what I believe. All behavior is belief driven. So if you say you believe in something, but your behavior or your actions don't match up, they don't back it up, then you don't really believe it. If you really believed it, then your behavior would do it. So all behavior is belief driven. That's why he who thinks he can and he who thinks he can't are both usually right. Why is it important to talk about what you believe? Because you'll attract other people that believe what you believe. Why is it important to say what I believe or who I believe in or, or how God's blessed my life? When I do certain things, I just, you know, do what I'm supposed to do and let God know we're supposed to talk about it. Because it attracts other people that believe the same thing we do. So, do you believe? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in giving of your time, talents, and treasures like we talked about the last couple weeks? Do you really believe in prayer? Again, if you do believe in prayer, then you probably pray. If you say you believe in prayer, but you don't ever pray until the airplane's going down, then do you really believe? We're about to read. Uh, no, we're not going to read it, so I'll tell you. James says, Jesus' brother James, <laughs> he said that even the demons believe. What good does it do them? You say you believe, but you don't do anything to back it up. Same as the demon. Talk is cheap. If you truly believe in something or someone, your actions will show it. Look at James 2, 14. James 2, 14. This is not what I said we're not going to read. This is right before that. 
Dear friends, dear New Horizon Worship Center, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? You see what James just said? God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. That's what a lot of people do. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hope you find some food this week, brother. I'll say a prayer for you. But then you don't do anything to help them be filled, be warmed and filled, one translation says. But then you don't do anything to help them. It's outrageous nonsense, okay? That's what James said. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. And I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works. Works and faith fit together hand in glove. Hand in glove. They work together. They fit together, James said. You can't be all faith. You can't be all works. You, you got to have both. They, they fit together. Like, I got my ball glove up here in my new office. Well, imagine, like, the analogy he just gave us. So if the ball glove is works, guess what? That can do. When a ball's flying at my face, if I pick up the glove, I can catch it and have no harm to my body. It's very nice. But if I don't have my hand in the glove, it's not going to catch it. But the other way around, if I don't have the glove... And just catch it with my hand, it's still going to hurt. Pretty bad. He said, faith and works, it's like a hand in a glove. You kind of need both of them. It's going to be real benefit for you. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works into two and end up? You can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? King James Version says, um, faith without works is dead. So that's real cool, your faith. But James said, if there's no fruit, 
I'm really glad for all these awesome things that you believe, but if I look at your life and I don't see fruit, I don't see works, I don't see sacrifice, I don't see giving, I don't see love, I don't, I don't see these fruits, I don't see these things coming out of your life, then faith is dead. I mean, you don't really have faith. Trust. Remember Jesus' friend Lazarus, he died and his sisters were really upset. They sent for Jesus to come heal him. And Jesus, like, didn't go for a few days. Lazarus dies. Then Jesus comes to town with the disciples. And the sisters are running out. And everybody's upset. And Jesus knew, like, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and in that story, Jesus said, I think this is interesting, that Jesus walks up to the tomb. But then he doesn't do the whole thing himself. He walked up to the tomb. They said, he's already been buried for three days. He's already, he stinketh, King James says. He's already rotten. And Jesus said, hey, roll the stone away. He told them, here's your part to play. Roll the stone away. It would have been a giant stone that they would roll in front of the tomb. Now, is it harder to roll a stone away or raise a dead person back to life? I think raise a dead person would be harder than rolling a stone away. I mean, we could probably all get together and roll some stones, but if you bring in a dead guy, I don't know. I don't know if I have, like if we have the faith or the power to do that. So it's harder to raise the dead person. Well, what are you trying to say? Do what you can do. Well, I can't figure out how Lazarus is going to come back alive and how, how could Lazarus walk and he's already dead and he's going to stink and he's already rotten. So if Jesus was going to bring him back, he should have came in three days ago. And, and we give all these excuses of why it ain't going to work. And then guess what? We don't roll the stone away. We fail to do our part. We fail to step out in obedience. And then we wonder, why did I never see the miraculous? Maybe... We didn't do what we could do. Let's do what we can do. Let's roll that stone away. Faith without works is dead. I don't want to carry around a dead faith. James says in another place, I'll show you my faith by my works. What do you believe in? Will you back it up with your life? James said, I'll show you my faith by my works or by looking at my life. In other words, it's not just talk. You can look at my life and see what I believe in. You can see fruit. You know, a hero is someone who will not sit by and watch injustice. They will protect, fight, give, love, serve for what they believe in. Or what they believe is right. They will stand against any form of darkness. That threatens to crush the human spirit, soul, or body. Heroes don't just talk. They sacrifice. The greater the hero. Usually the greater the sacrifice. Let's look at one of Israel's greatest heroes. 
2 Samuel 24, King David. This was a time, I, I feel like a lot of times we talk about King David and all his mistakes and his mess ups. And the good thing is he had a lot of them. So we can keep it fresh by talking about different ones. So this is one we may not talk about that often, but this was a pretty big, bad mistake. This was a man after God's own heart. It was the, the greatest king that Israel's ever known. He took more territory and more land than any other king. Like all these awesome things that we know about David. He was the giant slayer even when he was a boy. He was a worshiper. All these things about David. But he had some major mess ups. Some major mistakes. So in this one, so we don't have to read the whole entire story. I'll just catch you up to what's going on. God said, don't number the people. I need you to trust me. Don't number your army and find out how many people you have because God knew that David would start trusting in himself and his ability and his army and, and figure out how he could win the wars instead of trusting God and instead of worshiping God and doing what he was supposed to be, leading how he's supposed to lead. David disobeyed. Uh-oh. God speaks to the prophet prophet comes to David and he said guess what you disobeyed you're in trouble here's your punishment this isn't like a slap on the wrist he said I'm gonna give you multiple choice so this is a kind of a crazy story the prophets hearing from God and comes to David and said you disobeyed you started trusting in yourself instead of me so here are your choices you got three choices Number one, seven years of famine. That's rough. People are going to die. Animals are going to die. Our land, like poverty. No crops, no water. No Seven years of famine. So imagine David like, okay, what's behind door number two? Door number two. I imagine David like, is this one shorter than seven years of punishment? Oh yeah, this one's only three months. Okay, three months, that sounded a little better. What is it? Your enemies are gonna kick your butt for the next three months. You will not win a battle and all your enemies will chase you and you will run. Bunch of people are gonna die. You're gonna lose a lot of ground and territory and your homes and you cannot win a battle for the next three months and your enemies are all just going to attack you. And you know you can't win for three months. So David, like, oh my gosh. Wait, you said there was a third option? What was the third option? Is it shorter than three months? Yeah, this one's even shorter. This one only lasts for three days. Okay, cool. Three days, we can do three days. What's, what's the three days? He said, choice number three, three days of a fatal epidemic disease. Three days of a fatal epidemic disease. David said, I can't pick. David said, God, you're merciful. I can't wish that on my people. God, you pick. So God picked the three day epidemic. 70,000 men died. 70,000. That was over one-third of David's army that he was placing his trust in. 70,000 men died. 
God, if you go read the story, it actually tells us that, that God sent an angel with this disease to go and just start spreading the disease. And that when the angel lifted up his hand to completely destroy Jerusalem and kill all of them, God had to stop the angel. God said, hey, I didn't say kill them all, stop. And then David saw this angel that was killing all of them, standing at the edge of this threshing floor. David begins to repent. God, I'm sorry. God, it's my fault. I messed up. God, pour out your wrath on me and my family and my father's house and not, not all these people. Please stop. David was told to go where that angel, that death angel was and offer a sacrifice to God. David probably thought he was about to die. I've never really thought about it till I read this story this week, but but. David repents and says, God, take it out on me. David saw the angel was at this threshing floor of the Jebusite, and the death angel pretty much is standing there. And then God says through the prophet, okay, go to where that death angel is. You make me a sacrifice. David probably thought he was done. I'm going to sacrifice myself to save the people. So, so David shows up and Aruna looked and he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. It was his threshing floor they were at. And Aruna went out and he bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor. That would have been weird right off the bat because the king could have whatever he wanted. The king could have just come up and said, give it to me. And like when we read that, we think it's not fair that a third of the army died. All those men died. That other people got hurt because of David's mistake. But I want to ask you today, what are you building See, because if you're building with love and life, then your building materials will be relationship. That's how God designed it. But as we form relationships and as we get connected in community, then everything that we do can hurt each other. And the more influence we have, the more people will hurt. David was top dog. He was the king. He had influence. He had power. He had control. And when he messed up, it hurt everybody. See, everybody wants influence. Everybody in this room, probably everybody listening to me, you want influence. Even if you don't want some great influence on a stage, there are people in this world you want to influence. You want influence with your spouse or you want influence to be able to influence your kids or a relationship or everybody wants influence. Right? But everybody doesn't want responsibility, and you can't have influence without responsibility. Responsibility? Ah, oh, nah. We want influence without responsibility, and that's impossible. 
we are accountable for the people under our influence, always. More influence, more accountability. More influence, more responsibility for the people under your influence. You ever heard anybody say, I'm not hurting anyone but myself? Every time someone's ever said that to me, they were hurting me in the moment. And believe it or not, I've had that said to me a bunch of times. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You've probably heard it said to you too. And the reality is, yes, you are. You, you can't do things without hurting other people. You're connected to other humans. That's never true. Some people are just dangerous. They're dangerous to love. So David was hurting his own people. The mistakes that he made. Some people hurt everyone that they're connected to. But I want to tell you today that the opposite is true too. If you're healthy, if you're a life giver, then you're helping everyone you're connected to. You're making everyone you're connected to better. You're giving life and forgiveness and love and that, what they need. So if you go on down and, and read the story, Aruna tries to give David. No, you can have the threshing floor. You can have the oxen. Here, bust up my plow and use the wood and set it on fire and like just take it. You can have it. You're the king. All these things did Aruna as king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay. No, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. No, I'll pay you and I'm going to pay you good. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, which was a high price. And David built there an altar. He got down and built it. He could have told his servants to build it. He was the king. He got down off of his horse and he built the altar unto the Lord. And he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land. And the plague was stayed from Israel. The highest expression of love is sacrifice. David made a sacrifice and got down and he built an altar for the people. And his life got bigger. Go read the story. His territory was expanded. His power was greater. His life got bigger. What are you sacrificing? Do you believe in anything enough to sacrifice? A relationship or a marriage or a church or a ministry or a leader or... John 19, 39. 
And there came also Nicodemus. Y'all remember Nicodemus? He was the guy that showed up to talk to Jesus like he believed in Jesus, but he showed up at night because he was embarrassed to be seen talking to Jesus. And he showed up and he asked Jesus, like, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I really live? And Jesus said, you got to be born again. He was that guy. Well, this is after the cross. Jesus is dead, and it looks like the plan failed. He wasn't the Savior. He didn't bring a revolution. He, it, he died. His body's dead. And I don't know why we never talk about this. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. That lets us know it was the same guy. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. So Nicodemus shows up. They get the body down, and Joseph of Arimathea says, I have a grave. Can we please take his body and bury him so that he's not thrown in the mass grave with the other criminals, which was all part of God's plan because if he was thrown in the mass grave, then nobody would have ever known if he was raised from the dead because he would have been thrown in with all the other bodies as a criminal, and his body wouldn't have been anointed to fulfill prophecy. So it's all part of God's plan, and these guys are making sacrifices. So Joseph of Arimathea, he gives up his own personal family grave, burial spot for Jesus. It's a major sacrifice. But then Nicodemus shows up and he brings these oils to pour on the dead body, to anoint the body for burial in honor like you would a king. He brings 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, or that's what we know as sandalwood oil so these two are and were pretty expensive and it's hard to do the exact math but in today's market it would be roughly two hundred thousand dollars worth of oil that he brought it was what Mary had in the alabaster box that she poured out in worship on Jesus' feet. Remember, Judas got mad and stuff. It was those same good, it was good smelling oils like Mary had, the expensive oils. But this was eight times the amount that Mary dumped out. Eight times. We talk a lot about that alabaster box. Like she poured that out and Judas was mad and said, shouldn't this have been sold and given to the poor? This joker brought $200,000 worth of oil. For what? To dump on a dead body. It's over. It was a waste. Logically, that doesn't make sense. You want to do something good with it? Take it and sell it and give it to the poor. It doesn't make sense. But that is worship. That's honor. It's sacrifice. It is the emptying of ourselves. It's giving. We empty ourselves and we're refilled. With great love comes great sacrifice. And as Jesus followers, we've realized that stuff doesn't matter. People do. And that faith without action is dead. I think this will help and we're done.
two verses. John 14, one and two. It's familiar. You probably don't even have to turn to it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. We're talking about what you believe. You believe in God also. Believe in me. Jesus is talking. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. The word mansions is dwelling places or homes. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, hey guys, I'm going to the cross and I'm preparing a place. And in my father's house, there are many sons. There are many daughters. There are many mansions. There are many dwelling places. It said so many different ways. Body parts. Can I say it this way? In my father's house, there are many vehicles. There's big ones and small ones and vehicles sitting all over this room. There's many Coopers and Dooleys. <laughs> all this body is is just a vehicle that's going to get me from birth to death. But I'm going to live on past that. That's not what's really important. It's just a vehicle. And I have a purpose and a vision and dreams all inside of this vehicle but the vehicle is not what's important and sometimes we get so caught up on the vehicle we miss the purpose we miss what's really important we're so worried about the vehicle the last few weeks I guess you've noticed but perspective keeps coming up your perspective on things if you can change your perspective you can change your life like a pessimist sees a dark tunnel an optimist sees light at the end of the tunnel a realist sees a freight train but the train driver sees three idiots standing on the tracks it's all about perspective your viewpoint if we can change the way we think I think sometimes we get the vision the dream the purpose and the vehicle or the stuff and we get them mixed up and it messes us up as Christians we don't live like we're supposed to live like this building right here it's not the vision sanctuary is cool and I like the raised seating some people don't like the raised seating whatever your opinion is yes, no, great, sound system all that stuff this building is not the vision or the dream it's just a vehicle that enables us to do the vision the dream to see people healed to dedicate babies to preach weddings and celebrate funerals or home goings to like it's just a vehicle that enables us to do the real stuff it's not precious 
It's a vehicle. The vehicle isn't precious, but what's in it is. See, my truck is not precious, but the things that happen inside my truck, they're precious. The talks that I have with Sky on the way home from a baseball game, the things that I do and I choose to make it a sanctuary for worship, the things that happen inside it. Trucks, they'll come. They'll go. Vehicles will wear out. Not the purpose. Not the vision. Rooms will need remodeling. But that's not what's precious. You see, if your vision is your dream or your vision, your purpose is to go to Africa, then you're probably going to need an airplane for your vehicle. But if your vision or your dream is to go to Bremen Walmart, you can get there in the truck. You need a different kind of vehicle. If your dream is to go to the moon, the airplane's not going to work for you. You're going to need a rocket. But it's still just a vehicle. It's an awesome vehicle. Super cool that you have a rocket. But my truck can't get you to the moon. And a rocket can't get you to Walmart. Try it. So real cool, you got a big rocket ship, but is that where you're supposed to be going? Awesome. I wish I had a mega church with a thousand people and we were bringing in $10,000 a week in offering. Well, guess what? Is that where you're supposed to be going? The vehicle is important, but it's not precious. Don't bring coffee in here. Somebody threw a ball and busted something. It's okay. It's a vehicle. Right? It's more important that that kid feels loved and accepted and knows who they are. Now, I'm not saying you just destroy stuff and don't be good stewards. But we remember what's really important. Paul said, one thing I do, I forget the past. Press on to the future. How do we do that? We remember God. We remember what God did in the past. We don't remember the pain and the hurt because we've healed and moved on. When we look back at the past, we remember God. We see what God did. We see the relationships that he built, the people that he brought into our lives. We remember God. I was talking about vehicles and trucks. And this year, like, there's been a couple of vehicles that I've just been kind of overwhelmed and humbled by as most of y'all know I I was driving the old red truck and had a lot of problems and it wasn't really good for pulling my pig food and doing all putting all the miles I was putting on it and stuff and and the church was going to give me a raise hadn't had one in a while and stuff and then God laid it on the some of the board members heart that what they should do is help me get a nicer truck so several of y'all helped out with that and 
and got me a good truck. But what y'all don't know, I don't know if anybody knows, but a week after y'all helped me get that good truck that I needed with four-wheel drive and everything that's been super nice, the newest truck I've ever had, um, that a week later, my red truck broke down. And we rolled it in the side yard until we could get it fixed but it was like done like it barely held on until then and it was such a cool thing and a, and just a, a cool blessing and it was a vehicle it helps me do what I need to do get stuff done and then I know tons of y'all have been sacrificing and uh, y'all gave me my new office vehicle last night now I honestly sat in there and tried to like study last night and just kept crying and came up here this morning and got up at four and got up here a little before five and sat in there and probably cried about as much as I studied and just looking around feeling so humbled and just thinking about different ones of you that sacrificed and you gave your time and just looking around the room at things that several of y'all gave that I know are expensive, that I know is a sacrifice, that I know and it honors me and it's that office is a vehicle that I believe will take me places and take us places that I couldn't go before it's the nicest vehicle I've had as far as offices go by far and I felt like God said this morning that it's a sign because the old vehicle wasn't going to take you where we're supposed to go this year it's a new space it's a new area the vehicle's not precious but the things that are going to happen in there are the moments when heaven touches earth this year I learned a lesson I learned a lot of lessons but it's a whole lot easier to remember God if you learn to separate the vehicle from the vision it's a lot easier to look back at your past and see God if you can separate stuff from people purpose from stuff vehicle from the vision if we can separate those things some of y'all it's still hard so here's the answer it's just one answer ready you're gonna have to pay attention for this one but it's gonna be good I promise you pick a number in your head between one and ten got it everybody in the room pick a number between one and ten now double that number. Now stay with me for this to work. Okay, you picked your number, double your number. 
Now add six for your total. Okay, you ready? You picked a number, you doubled it. Now you added six. Now divide that number in half. Everybody with me? Everybody got it? You divide the number in half. Now subtract your original number that you picked. All right? You got it? Now, I'm going to guess y'all's number. All of your number. Three. Get it? (laughs) The answer is always three. No matter what. I didn't even believe it when I heard it, so I tried every number from one to ten. It always comes out to three. (laughs) The answer is three. So if I didn't just guess your number, then you didn't follow me or you did it wrong. You're not good at math. (laughs) So like... (laughs) Uh, the answer is it's it's always three. Why'd you tell us that to end the service? It can get confusing, but the answer is always Jesus. See, for a long time I thought I had to know all the answers. For a long time, I'd panic when people wanted to come to my office for a meeting because I don't know what if I don't know the answer to whatever question they're going to ask. What if I don't know what to tell them to save their marriage? Or what if I don't know what to tell this kid to keep them from doing something they don't need? Like, it's real freeing to realize that you don't have to know all the answers. Jesus is the answer. You just need to be in the room. You just need to keep showing up. Be where you're supposed to be. Give and love and serve. You make things better and brighter. You do. Jesus said that we're supposed to be salt and light. So salt makes things better and light makes things brighter. So when you're in the room, you make things better and brighter. So that's the answer. It's a name that's bigger than your doubt. It's bigger than your guilt. It's bigger than pain. Unto him has been given a name that is above every name. Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. We believe that you came and died on the cross paid the price for all of mankind but we don't want to just believe that something happened we want our actions to back it up I'll show you my faith by my works God we know that bad things are still going to happen to us and that we're going to go through hard things and hard time but we want to win the fight We're going to keep on giving and loving and sacrificing and serving. We won't give you that which cost us nothing. God, we love you. Thanks for helping us do the hard things. Thanks for the good times. 
And thanks for all that you're going to do this year. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.